0: Hey everyone, welcome to Bible Discoveries, the weekend show on this show. You know, we're reading through the Bible with Bible discovery. Uh, Every year we read through the Bible. So this show on the weekend, we take a deep breath. We look at big issues that pop up as we're reading through the scriptures and we aim to answer them or at least start to answer them. And we like to interact with your questions and comments as well. So thank you for sending them in. Thank you for being active in the comment section. We really appreciate it. Uh, before we get started today, I just wanted to say if you've been watching the weekend show for a long time or Bible discovery and you are not a monthly partner, but you're interested in becoming a monthly partner uh, and donate to Bible Discovery, then you can just go on our website. Uh, There's a donate there. You can also call either the Canadian office or the American office and speak with our amazing people. Again, this is not to say that you have to or put any sort of guilt at all. It's just that if if that is something that you feel called to do, that you want to do, and that you're able to do, that would be great because we want to make as much free content as possible. We want to help people understand the Bible, and really be consistent in their Bible reading. So that's that's our goal at Bible Discovery as a whole. So again, no pressure. But if that's something that you'd like to do, that's how you would do it. Matlock, why don't you let us know? Sure. Where in the scriptures right. we are supposed to read this week. Well,
1: it's good because we're like fastly approaching the end of the year. We think, are. Yes.
0: Yeah, really quickly. Yes,
1: I think this is episode like 46?
0: Seven.
1: 47? Yeah. Look at this, episode 47 already. <laughs> and uh, so that means we did uh, 2 Corinthians 4 to Ephesians 2 this week, if you were reading your Bible. Um, th- wait, so the questions that are pertaining to today are regarding uh, a slew of different things, as you see, mainly to do with Paul, but regarding uh, limited atonement. The the tulip itself, whether or not that's biblical, that's a big question that comes up. God's grace and its dynamics, how does that work? Can you remove God's grace or anything like that? And also, is gender in God's kingdom? That's another question that came up from Galatians. Now, we do have a big question, but I don't know if we're going to have time to get to the big question, so we're going to leave this a secret big question for the end. (laughs)
0: Well, the truth is, we have a lot of big questions we have to a lot answer, of, so we're not right. sure how that's going to go timing wise, because a lot of these questions are yeah. weighty and interesting.
1: That's right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So let's just start things off. Yeah. Okay. Let's so do it. I'm going to open up, Corey. I'm going to ask you the first question. Sure. Okay. So it's regarding Galatians 3:28. Yeah. All right. This is from Jay. Does Galatians 3:28 mean there are no more genders in God's kingdom?
0: Right, no more gender.
1: No more gender.
0: All right, so let's go and let's read Galatians 3.28 to get the context for this. Okay, we are going to go back to verse 23. We're gonna read Galatians 4, verse 23 to 29. Here we go. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. So this is really, is really breaking down societal expectations, uh, of that time when it comes to how God deals with people, right? So when we're looking at this, how does God deal with people? Well, he definitely doesn't deal with them according to our individual societal expectations, right? Because each society, each culture has different expectations on what it means (coughs) to be a human being, what it means to be male or female, what it means to be Gentile or Jew, what it means to be slave or free. And that's not how God is dealing with us when it comes to salvation, right? When it comes to salvation, we are all sons of God. And in that culture, that meant we are all equal heirs of salvation, of the new heavens and the new earth. So there's no partiality with God. He's not saying, oh, you're a man, therefore, like in that culture, because men were seen as more valuable than women, uh, he's not going, okay, well, you get a bigger inheritance of salvation, or it's easier for you to have salvation than it is for this woman. She's my daughter, but she's going to get a little bit less. She's not going to be able to do very much in the kingdom. Here it is, and same with slave and free. There is, or, or Jew and Gentile. Just because you're a physical descendant of Abraham doesn't mean that you're going to get preferential treatment when it comes to salvation or or the the inheritance of of, of eternal life in in the new heavens and the new earth. That's not how God is approaching salvation, and we learn that here in Galatians three, and and also elsewhere. So it's really busting down these these expectations and say, God is treating us all as equals. And, and the reasoning behind that is because it's not who we are that matters. It's who Jesus Christ is. So you'll notice that you'll notice that um, that language in verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put, on Christ. So it's, it's those we're putting on Christ like a garment. If you go back to Zechariah three in the old Testament, Zechariah has a vision of Joshua, the high priest standing before God, and he's a high priest. He's righteous according to the law, right? He's offering all the right sacrifices. He's doing all of the right things, but he's standing before God wearing dirty clothes. And Satan is standing there accusing him, look, he's dirty. He shouldn't be able to stand before you. And instead of God listening to that and kicking Joshua out, he clothes Joshua in clean clothes. It's God giving the clean clothes to Joshua. God has given us Jesus Christ to wear as a garment He's. Righteousness, right? And we're all wearing that garment. There is no caste system in heaven and in, in the new new heavens and new earth. So uh, I do not believe that Galatians three is speaking to the fact that there is no gender. It's speaking to the fact that regardless of gender, we all have equal access to salvation and to an inheritance of eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's good. There is a typological parallel that's made between often in the Bible too between uh, uh, circumcision and baptism. Yeah. But when you think about what circumcision is, that's yeah. strictly for men.
0: Yeah, we right? women so, can't do it. right.
1: But women get baptized. So this idea is that like this is open for everyone, right? Absolutely. And, and the way it, if you think about circumcision, it's a it's very bloody. It's it's partially like a, seen as like a sacrifice yeah. in, the, in the Old Testament. So you have this idea that it's like it's not really the same thing as water. Right. When you go into water, you come out, you're clean. It's just not the same process. Yeah. It also, there's no mark or ind- a physical mark or indication that yes. you were baptized. Yes. Right. So that's the idea. So it's like, there's so much more to that than, uh, than what was happening in the Old Testament. And that's really what Paul's talking about is going down the line. Yes. So what, you have the, you, know, you have the law. Yes, and you have what faith or faith and grace.
0: Yes, and there were distinctions, like in the Old Testament law, there were distinctions between how men and women fulfilled the law, even just beyond circumcision. Yeah, Uh, and those are gone in the New Testament, right? We we all follow Christ. We all follow the law of Christ. We all are working out our faith, not that our works. Are say make us saved, but according to the New Testament, we we have faith, we have trust in God, and then therefore good works uh, come out of us in that. And and there isn't the same kind of of distinction right. that we see. Um, now that that doesn't speak to the gender issue wholly, but I think that does speak to the right. gender issue here. Well, I, I, yeah, yeah, because
1: the context is status. Yeah, it's about status. It's yeah. not about. The the other because t- he even yeah. says for all, for in Christ Jesus you are the sons of God exactly. through faith the adoption of sonship right is equal for everyone yes and that sonship that's that legal status meant that you know the son inherits everything yes. the father has yeah uh, but we're all. Daughter and sonship. Right. So that's the point. Yes, and that's right. the
0: point. So like when, when he talks about uh, master and slave or slave and free and male and female, like yeah. in that society, uh, as a wife, because I'm married to you, we're right. married, we're husband and wife, happily married. But if we are living in the in the first century or the second century, right, we, first century when this was written. Right. Right. Um, you unless we were very wealthy and 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 i had a lot of wealth from my family right. or somehow you were very like generous or egalitarian in thought right. and and you had kind of emancipated me i would be i would have no legal rights no legal authority for myself i would come under you therefore right. th- you were completely my representative and i was completely dependent on you for pretty much anything and everything, right? right? Uh, now, this wasn't, this wasn't the case always. There was definitely exceptions because women also had businesses and things of this nature, but that seems to have been more rare. It was more the case that women had almost no, they had no legal <laughs> rights, right? But that, that, is when it comes to salvation, that system doesn't exist. I do not have to go, I wouldn't have had to go through you right. to become saved, to, to to receive salvation. That's not how it worked. And the same with slave and free, right? So you could be a slave of someone else who was not a Christian, and yet you could be a Christian. So right. this wasn't dependent on your human Authority. Right. If that makes sense. Do you know what I'm trying to no, say? I'm not oh, sure if I'm yeah, explaining yeah. Or that
1: or right. Or ethnicity. This is Jewish Greek, right? Exactly. So it's, just, it's not, there's no basis, that's not the basis of salvation.
0: Yeah. Your your heritage is not the basis of your salvation. That's your right. Your earthly authority is not right. the basis of your salvation. Jesus Christ is the basis of your salvation. Paul
1: also says often as it brothers and sisters. He just says brothers and sisters. Yeah. And he then uses also. The he, word,
0: he uses the word Adelphoi, which right. which is brothers, but it, it, it implies. Impl- it, it, yeah. It's both. Well, That's what I was going to yeah. say. Yeah. Is that
1: like, but the word often could be just brothers by itself because you're yes. adopted of the sonship. But he's referring to everyone. Yes. Right? So it's like, it's not that there's this idea that like, oh, all physical genders are gone. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just, we're talking about legal status here and what that yeah. means in salvation.
0: And when Jesus' question in the Gospels, I mean, this this is a big, hu- this is a huge topic that goes on. But we, we, in our culture, we have a different version of what marriage is. Right? And some of that's good and some of that's not so good, depending on how you look at it. But in... Um, in the Jewish context of the first century, right when Jesus is dealing with uh, the uh, the Sadducees who are speaking with him in the Gospels, and, and they're like, "Well, this woman married this guy, and then he died, and she married his brother, and then he died, and then she married his brother, and then he died, and she married." Him. So, whose wife is she in the resurrection? They were trying to say there is no resurrection, and Jesus is like, "Well, there is no marriage in the resurrection. There is a resurrection, but there is no marriage in the resurrection." And and the the context of that is not necessarily that there's not genders, but there is not that there is not that 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 system any longer there is not that legal system there it's just not yeah he's talking about the legal system
1: itself that's because that's because that's what's really important there he's not giving an ontological claim about all those things though you could if you really want to get into it you can dig into those things
0: there's some really interesting things that you can get into but But yes that that system of legal representation and is gone
1: that's exactly right and that's a really important yeah because people often go down that route right yes they do right and it's not about that that lies specifically. Anything else you want to add on?
0: No, I think that I think that I mean if you have any follow-up questions, pop them down in the comment section. Or if you guys have anything you want to say, again, comment section. Matlock and I personally go through that and we love reading it. And and um maybe we'll may I feel like some comments deserve reaction videos and some and some questions. So maybe we'll kind of get into that in over here. <laughs> I don't know. I'm excited about it. I anyway, why yeah. don't why don't we move on? All right. Okay, this is for you, Matlock. <coughs> sure. From Ephesians 1, verse 4. Patrick asks, is okay. limited atonement biblical?
1: Okay, let's go to Ephesians. You should
0: probably explain what limited atonement is.
1: Right, okay. Uh, yes, I should do that first. Let's do that first. Then I'll, then I'll read it. Ephesians 1 to 4, then we'll talk about it. Okay, so uh, Calvinism, in Calvinism, there's a system called the tulip system. Uh System. Anyways, long story short, it's a theological system that's abbreviated to TULIP for T standing for total depravity, U standing for unconditional election, L for limited atonement, um, I for irresistible grace, and P for perseverance of the saints. Long story short, right, Uh, it boils down to God's sovereignty over uh, the act of salvation. To the degree that uh, you have no, uh, whoever God chooses in limited atonement, God chooses everyone He wants, and everyone else. Um, uh, and everyone, uh, God, when died, sorry, let me rephrase that. When Christ died on the cross, limited atonement, um, He only died for the, the God's elect. That's it. He didn't. So,
0: so in other he didn't words, die the for sacrifice else. of Jesus Christ was not for the world. it yes. was only for a select few who would believe in him. So the idea, so either God died for for the world, or Jesus only died for certain people who are scattered about the world. So limited atonement is it's limited, so it's not for everybody. It's yes. just for a select. There's a bigger
1: people. system there that goes into God's sovereignty and free will and yeah. stuff well, like that, and so that's what I was getting into. And I was like, I had to no. stop myself. I was no. like, no. I can't go for the go.
0: purposes today. The, keeping yes. it simple,
1: just limited atonement has to do with was Jesus', Jesus... A
0: sacrifice for everybody, or just for the people who right. would come to faith in Him?
1: That's right, right. So that's exactly what or the question God is
0: about. Or that God chose to come right. in faith with Okay, him, so let's so just
1: so read Ephesians one 4, four because that's that's what this is really interesting. So let's get to Ephesians. Corey, would you mind reading Ephesians one four? Sure. Perfect.
0: I will grab it.
1: Awesome. (laughs) I wish I wasn't feeling so out. I know.
0: I'm so sorry. Okay. Um, I'm actually, it's the middle of a sentence. So we're going to read three and four. Sure. (laughs) Ephesians 1 verse three and four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him
1: okay that's good okay so long story short um the idea here is that God chose the foundation of the world therefore we have uh it's not on a basis of what we choose right it's it's a matter of God chose us and therefore, There's nothing, we're not part of this process. We're passive, you can't even say participants. We're passively witnessing God saving us, essentially. That's how I kind of uh, understand it. So with that, is limited atonement biblical? Did God only die for those that he wanted to save? And he didn't die for anybody else. And we obviously know John 3.16, he died for the whole world. But there is a verse, I think, that doesn't line up with um, limited atonement. And that's uh, 1 Timothy
0: Mm
1: 4.10. Okay? And uh, I'm going to read it to you. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Okay. So what's important about this verse is, is that Christ died. He's the Savior of all people, and then it's especially those who believe. So, in other words, those who believe, right, and actually follow Christ, are truly saved, and those, uh, but Christ still died for all people, because he's the Savior of all people. It's a matter of whether or not the people, people say accept or, or truly follow him, a whole bunch of ways to describe it. But long story short, it's a matter of... Um, whether God for limited atonement, it's matter. It's a matter of whether uh, Christ died for the whole world, every single person, or did He just die for those He wanted to save? And it sounds like, like based on this verse, for instance, that He died. in you know, uh, John three sixteen, He died for the world. He died for everybody, right? And those who actually follow Christ, right, are truly saved. Um, so I think that in my head, knocks off. Like, I'm not saying it. It, it removes. Um, if you're a five point Calvinist, this is like destroy all five points. But I think that this verse, in my mind, doesn't work with limited atonement.
0: There's so many verses that don't okay. work with limited sure, atonement. Go ahead. There's only there's only a there's only a few Ephesians one being one of them that you can make I think a solid case for it. Right. Fortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, depending on how you look at it. I mean, you look at Hebrews two verse nine that says. Um, But we see him who for a little while was made lower (coughs) than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Right. Then like you hop over to 1 Timothy 2 verse uh, 3 and 4. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth.
1: Right. But hold on. But... But the, the issues with even those verses though and here's the is like the reason why i highlighted this verse specifically because mm-hmm. what do you say all people i right what, all, right yeah, okay all correct. of israel will be saved but then it also says not all israel belongs to israel so it doesn't mean all israel it means only the faithful And the concept is there's an all that includes everyone, everyone. Except in the
0: context of all Israel, he's just gone on to explain that not all Israel, Israel. So he puts that in context. So when you're looking at something that is as important as atonement, whether it's unlimited or limited atonement right, right. you have to look at a multitude of verses you can't just pick on one like in Ephesians 1 and be like oh this means that it's not for everybody like you have to do some really weird things with the text and that's kind of what i'm trying to push my right. push, push us towards like when you when you actually look up all of these verses that deal with salvation i mean and you mentioned john 3.16, for right. God so loved the world, he, the, the word that John uses for world is cosmos, right? right? It's it's all, it's the universe, right? right? Everything, everything when you jump, When you jump over to Romans 5.18, for example, um, you know, Paul is talking about there was death for all of mankind in Adam, and now there's life available for all of mankind right. in Christ. He's the one who's setting that up. So he's the one who's saying all the sons of Adam And now all the sons of Adam, again, through the second Adam, have availability, right? So 518, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So it's this availability of it there. Yes.
1: Okay, right. Yeah, but that's, and I think that's the idea. So the Calvinist would be like, oh, well, it's not truly for all men because it's only for those. And the tension, I'm just trying to highlight the tension because the, the reason why Calvinists go down this road is because God knows everything. Yeah. So it seems strange to some people that he knows everything, mm-hmm. and then somehow some are not saved. Right? It's, it's, when he says all—do you see what I'm saying there? There's a tension between knowledge, uh, how, how people see things, mm-hmm. and the tension of um, God not actually acting on that right to save people and truly being loving and all these things those are deeper questions i've heard
0: heard a lot of arguments where they're like well then god is impotent which i think is a very dangerous thing to say because what if you're wrong it's
1: very dangerous (laughs) And you
0: have called god impotent
1: yeah you should very presumptuous yeah 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 and that okay so that is another angle because if if anyone who's willing to say if my theological system isn't right therefore god is impotent has a deep problem with authority yeah. Severe problem because my system isn't right. Therefore, God is somehow weak. Like, yeah. I, like, I don't trust that Just because one you bit. don't
0: understand your authority doesn't yeah. make them less authoritative. That's right. right? And so, right and there, we know that we're not going to understand all the ways of God when we look in Isaiah and we see God tell Isaiah, look, Isaiah, my ways are high above your ways. Right. Your ways are not my ways. So there has to be a level of humility when we're approaching this. Yes. Um, especially when it comes to salvation, this is an amazing gift of God. But I, but I think when you look at all of not just the verses, but the verses in context, <coughs> right. it points us towards the fact that, yes, God has made this available to all. Otherwise, he's using language that seems disingenuous. Well, I'm like, not saying it yeah. is, but it seems disingenuous like, if that's the way you enjoy
1: Jeremiah, it. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, turn, turn from your wicked ways. Yeah. Seems like he's
0: as like, if we, ha- as if they actually have a choice. Right, right. Yeah. yeah,
1: right. So that goes out to different angles. But the point it here does. to highlight here is that yeah, it seems like limited atonement, there's evidence within the text itself that suggests that, uh, it's not biblical. Yeah. It's not complete. Yeah. Um, like I said, he's the savior of all people, especially those who believe. So there's a dichotomy there between those who are, between everyone, and then those who are believers. Um, so yeah. Not, not, there's and again, a difference, this right. is
0: absolutely an in-house issue, right? I want yeah. to, like this is this well, is you yeah, can I, you I, can I, believe to, in unlimited atonement and limited atonement and still be Christian brothers and sisters. Yeah. So I like, think
1: and the clear the, the thing is here like there's tons of like. Like Gavin Orland for, is a great, great guy, uh, five-point Calvinist. So it's like uh, for Calvinism, it's a lot about the logical consistency, mm-hmm. but how that actually works, and that's what the, the argument is. But there's a difference between saying Calvinism is absolutely true, right, be, right? and then calling God impotent if he is if it isn't right. true. And the difference between someone saying, well, I think Calvinism is the best explanation of the text. Right. Those are radically different positions. Yes, absolutely. Because one is saying, absolutely, if you don't believe in Calvinism, then God is pathetically weak. Right. Like, literally, that's what the, that's the bad, argument. Bad idea. And that is that, like, right. that's an emotional stronghold yeah. that I think is very dangerous. Whereas I know many Calvinists who uh, don't think that way. And mm-hmm. it's, it's you know, and they're working out through the text in the way the best way they can, and so those are just different yeah, perspectives. There's on this.
0: healthy ways and unhealthy ways right. to approach these disagreements and the different interpretations of the text. So wherever you land on the spectrum, just let's make sure we're approaching the text and we're approaching God in a healthy way. That's right.
1: Yeah. That's right. Not in
0: a manipulative right. way.
1: <coughs> Thanks for saving me there. I'm a little I'm a little bit under the weather. So Corey, let me ask you another question. Sure. Okay. This is related to Ephesians 2. Mm -hmm. It's from, I don't really want to pronounce the name, but I'm going to try Fusi. Okay. Okay. I'm assuming Nigerian, I'm guessing, don't know for sure. Okay, uh, my question is, can the grace of God be transferred from one person to another? And can the grace of God be removed from a person? Lastly, can the grace of God be seized from a person? Or, this should be lastly, can the grace of God increase in the life of a man?
0: Right. Okay.
1: Four different questions in there.
0: All, all about grace and the usage. I would say the usage of grace here in Ephesians, but in other it's really interesting because Paul, this is one of the, this is the one of the things that Paul is famous for, um, where it's one of his blessings. Grace and peace be with you in our Lord Jesus right. Christ, right? And in and in some senses, grace is interchangeable with mercy. And in other senses, it has a little bit of a different connotation. So let's look and see how he's using it here in Ephesians 2. Um, I'm just going to start reading where I'm just deciding where I'm going to read. One second. I don't want to subject you all to all of this. Okay. Uh, We're going to start reading in Ephesians 2 verse 4. in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so that's ephesians 2 verse 4 to 10. Okay, so clearly this has that mercy element to it. By grace, we have been saved. This is this is God showing us unearned kindness, unearned mercy, unearned grace. It's this pardon. Unmerited this gift of God. mercy. Yes, unearned. Yes. Unmerited. Yeah. However you want to say it, right? Uh, it's interesting. We can go back. Uh yeah. He opens the book of Ephesians, Paul does, in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, When we look, for example, when we like hop over to the epistles of Peter. Peter says something really interesting about grace. We're going to jump over to 1 Peter 4. And we're going to read verse 7 to 10. Okay. First Peter four, verse seven to 10. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So Peter uses it here in a really interesting way where he talks about, you know, God has, 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 given us varied grace so he showed us mercy and as a part of that mercy has gifted us with with different gifts like like hospitality or like teaching or like all these different things that we are supposed to be using uh to to build up each other and build up the kingdom of god okay so
1: the questions
0: the questions you want
1: to read the first question again sure Can the grace of God be transferred from one person to another?
0: No, it can only be. So if we're talking about grace as in the mercy of God, as in salvation, no, we cannot give (coughs) God's grace. We cannot save other people. The, The grace of God can only be transferred from Christ to us in that sense. In a different sense, can we show grace or mercy to others Absolutely we can, right? We can absolutely show God's grace and mercy to other people. We can act, we have a responsibility to act in grace and mercy towards other people. As we have been forgiven, so we must forgive. And when people ask us, well, why Why would you do that? Like you, I don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve this or whatever point back to God I'm forgiving because I have been forgiven so we can show God's grace to the world but it's not as if I am saved now therefore I can sacrifice myself for someone else no 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 no. that's that's Christ so in the sense of God's grace being mercy of salvation no that just comes from Jesus Christ to us uh does that make sense am i yeah. explaining that correctly yeah well I, I i was
1: i was when i heard the word transfer transferred from one person to another i was thinking literally like a like a force or a power that moves from this person to this person do you see what i'm saying right, right and then right. literally transfers um and I, I just just doesn't work that way but well. okay but, so
0: yeah. hold on i want to jump over to ephesians because yeah. in ephesians like we're, we're in ephesians
1: it's not the person that's in control of God's grace, it's God who's, right. who's in control of His
0: grace. But... Go ahead. I'm trying to find the verse here. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So <coughs> Ephesians does talk about giving grace, but in the sense that I've already talked about. So Having if mercy. we jump to Ephesians 4. Uh, verse 29, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, this is not God's grace as if we are the arbiter of salvation, but this is grace in that secondary sense of that we have received grace and mercy from God, and now we need to to act in grace and mercy. We have an obligation to act in grace and mercy towards other people. So this is grace in the sense of building up, right? We're not speaking, we're not speaking (coughs) corrupt talk, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. It may be a blessing. It may give mercy. It may build up. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, that's.
1: All right. So next question then. Next can question. the grace of God be removed from a person?
0: Okay. Can the grace of God be removed from a person? Can the mercy of God be removed from a person? You know, when you look at Hebrews and it talks about the possibility of someone falling away who has tasted the spirit, who, uh, who, who has... Um, tasted God and and experienced the spirit and walked away. So I I I think personally where I'm at uh with with the scripture, I think the grace of God can be removed from a person only if that person willfully chooses to walk away. So I'm not right. if if we're talking like eternal You're security, right. eternal security versus versus well, can someone lose their salvation that's Right. right now, that's where I'm personally at. So, well, you have the, the it's element. not as if we lose our free will when we become saved, so, right. but it would have to be like a willful rejection
1: You have away. Saul, right, in the Old Testament as an example, if it, the spirit of God was in him, but that's not quite grace. There's two examples no. I have here that talk about someone who uh, possibly losing grace or hinting at it. So um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Um, I'll start off a little bit earlier. So I'll start off at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, for our sake. He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with Him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So uh, this idea that you can receive the grace of God in vain for useless—it becomes useless, right? Um, and then also too uh, in um, Galatians 2 verse 21, uh, Paul's talking about um, you know the difference between the laws we talked about earlier, law and the gospel. He goes, I do not nullify the grace of God. for if righteousness righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So there we have I do not nullify the grace of God. So right. this implies that he could by doing something that's uh, contrary to the gospel, contrary to Christ. Creating a new law to follow, a new sacrificial system. Becoming a false
0: teacher. Becoming a false yeah. teacher,
1: right? So, um, so I don't think he would say, I do not nullify the grace. You know, it's, you don't say something that's impossible if, if it's, could be, if it's, say something that's impossible when it's technically plausible. Anyways, it's kind of a weird way of putting it. But the point is, I think that there's precedent to say the grace of God can be removed from a person. Uh, but I think it's forfeiture. I think it has to be so... Yeah. It's not like... What does Paul say in Romans? There's no height, no depth, no uh, angel yeah. above. And that's this, actually this... my
0: qu- my answer for the next okay. question. Okay. So like it ha- goes into that.
1: Right. So it's basically... It's like there's nothing... There's no external force that can separate you from God. The yeah. only thing not mentioned in that verse is you. Like if you start becoming an idol worshiper, if you start doing these different things. Like you've nullified the grace of God because you're now worshiping your own desires, your own passions, yourself, Satan, yeah. or whatever it is. So... However, that works, that dynamic between, you know, God's sovereignty, God's free will, however that works, somehow people nullify the grace of God. And I don't really know quite how that's possible. Um, but it seems to be what the text is saying. Um, either way, um, the other question, Corey. Yep. Uh, second last question. Can the grace of God be seized from a person?
0: And that's where I was gonna point to Romans 8, 13, okay, go 39, ahead. Yeah, just right? read it. Uh, Uh, Romans 8, verse 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, no, it can't be seized. Right. By some sort of external force.
1: Right, that's right. And then the uh last one is can the grace of god increase in the life of a man so if we look at this you're talking about unmerited mercy and mm-hmm. different and also grace being a free gift yeah right these different things the question then becomes can this grace increase in the life of a man I would say yes. I don't see a reason not to, but it's kind of like how you look at the word increase and how you look at it. It depends
0: on how you're using the word grace.
1: That's right. It really <laughs> does depend. It's
0: very nuanced right. in how you're right, using it. Right, because if you're it. using the
1: word grace being just salvation, is like how does salvation increase? Yeah. But if you're talking about sanctification, well, that increases. Talk about how God's uh, changing you into becoming holy. Well, then yeah, sure. The grace of God's increasing in that sense. And
0: even your awareness of what it means that God has saved you. Right. By faith through grace. Right. And know? maybe God's
1: showing more mercy on you because in the difficult time. So there's, there's different elements there. Uh, if you're not looking at like a power, it's like, in terms of salvation as a status, God's grace is a status, uh, it can't increase. It's just you have eternal doesn't life. Self, it doesn't need to. It doesn't need to. We talk about God's uh, grace in terms of how he's sanctifying you, right? Or perhaps justifying, however you, you look at that. Uh, yes, then there is, right? Right. Um, Then there is a growth, but it is God growing you specifically. It's God who does the work. It's not you. It's unmerited. It's a free gift. And that's what's important. As long as you're not rejecting him and you're letting God work in your life. (coughs) Yeah, that's that's it.
0: All right. I hope we answered that question satisfactorily or explored it satisfactorily. Let us know in the comment section. Okay, Matlock, Ephesians 2 again. All right.
1: Okay. Yeah, sure.
0: This one is from LD and they say okay it bothered me when rod said so many people think they're saved but they're not so this is in reference to must be one of the programs on
1: must be bible You're discovery
0: dead. daily program okay okay it bothered me when rod said so people think they're saved but are not what did he mean by that slash if you've asked god for forgiveness and asked him into your heart you are saved so is he saying some people aren't or that people think they're saved if they're a good person
1: all right, the latter. Basically, he's saying the latter. Some people think they're saved because they're a good person, or they think you know they have a false understanding of what goodness means, or whatever. Uh, I'm going to read some verses here. So let's go to uh, Matthew seven uh, verses 22 to 24. On that day, many will say to me, "Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many do many mighty works in your name?" And then I, I the Lord, will declare to them. I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock Okay, and this idea is that um, There's a whole bunch of people just claiming to be christian doing whatever they want They're called nominal christians, right? But they're not actually sincere heartfelt christians who follow christ who are obedient who are uh, steadfast and faithful uh, they like the, 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 the power that, that comes with, you know, perhaps Christ's name or whatever it is. Uh, but the idea here is that, um, that they're just nominal Christians and there has been, there's been nominal Israelites. I said it earlier. It's not all Israel belongs to Israel, right? It's Romans 9. But, uh, there's just, there's nominal Christians in the world and they are using the power of God in, in ways, right, that they, That aren't for the the right reasons and for the right gain. And so God never doesn't know them, doesn't know them in their hearts, right? The Holy Spirit's not indwelling them. And that's really important. Um, and here it says, notice here why I added the uh verse 24. Everyone that's everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them or practices them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone knows that parable, right? Between the man who builds house in the sand and the rock, rock stood up in the storm, the sand collapsed, and everything. So the point here I'm trying to make is is that this that that parable building house on the rock comes immediately after those nominal Christians who build their house in the sand. So they're building something out of their uh, that's fleeting, that's going to go away, that's um, that's futile and meaningless, essentially purposeless, they're building for their own desires but it's really like there's no foundation to it whatsoever so you have to build your house in christ on god right on the true true cornerstone um so that's part of it the other verse i want to highlight is uh second corinthians 13 which is more what we're reading this week let me go back there for a second second corinthians 13 all right, uh, verses five to six. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. In other words, Paul's talking about himself. So Paul's like, I hope you realize that we have not failed the test. But you should examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the t- in the faith. Test yourselves, right? That's, this is Paul. Paul's advocating that you can't just be like, oh, well, I accepted Jesus in my heart and I'm dumb, 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 dumb. And it's like, there's nothing else that comes with that. So clearly it's like, it's not a matter of a a single moment. I'm not saying salvation doesn't begin in a single moment. What I'm saying is just because you, it's not, um, an incantation. You can't Mm -hmm. just simply say words and therefore you're saved. Um, it doesn't work that way. Right? You will see over time gradual, you know, we talk about increase, gradual increase in progressive, uh, progressiveness, like sanctification, right, of God working in you and changing your life. You'll see transformation and renewing of your mind. There's a whole bunch of different uh, uh, descriptions of, of this in scripture. Um, so that's what I would say to that, Corey. Yeah. It's about sincerity versus just saying so.
0: Definitely, definitely. And, you know, I, I think... My experience as someone who was raised in a Christian home and has always believed in the existence of God and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, right? That, that that he is real, that he was God's plan of redemption. I've always believed that. I was raised that way. I remember as a little girl, always just knowing that there was a God and believing that he loved me and loving him in return. Uh, but I think sometimes there's this, there's this, um, I don't know, maybe fear that, that, that somehow because we didn't have a big uh, conversion experience when we were adults, that, that somehow then there's this fear that isn't in working. At least that's been my experience with other Christians who uh, have a similar story to mine. But, um, there's, there has to be, when it comes to salvation, there has to be an acknowledgement of sin, right? This realization that, that you are a sinner. And that happens even with those of us who were raised in the Christian church and, and never remember a time. like for, So for me, I, I understood this concept of sin at a young age, when I was four or five, I remember giving my life to God, asking him to save me from my sin. But then as I aged and went through all the different life stages, it was new understandings of what it meant to be a sinner and what it meant to have a sin nature. Uh, because as you get older, sin means different things. You have different temptations. you, You have different life experiences, right? And you're just able to reason and comprehend more about the world. So for a lot, for a lot of us who are raised in the church, but we have a real faith in Christ, there's this, this leveling up really, or, or a a deepening of our understanding of what it means. And, and this recommitment as it goes on this, this renewing of, of the covenant within us as our understanding ages and grows. So there always has to be this acknowledgement of sin and this, uh, this, this, Recognizing the reality of our sorry state. And then this acknowledgement of the sufficiency of Christ as God's redemptive plan to save us. And, and, um, and then this, our repentance from sin, meaning our, t- our desire to turn away from sin and instead follow God and, and, you know there there has to be those elements involved in, in salvation it's not that we are seeking power for power's sake uh we're not speaking seeking spiritual health for spiritual health's sake we we acknowledge that we are fallen and that we need a savior and that god has provided for us so there's that difference in intention from recognizing that you need to be saved and you need to be healthy versus wanting power over people or or over right. spirits or things like that and i think that is a huge dividing line when it comes to the, the the kind of thing that you see in the gospels where jesus says you know you're i'm gonna have people come to me right. but we're gonna say we cast out demons in your name we did miracles in your name, just because the name of jesus christ has spiritual power You're not going after spiritual power. That's not what salvation is about. What salvation is about is salvation from sin. So. That's right. I think there's a big dividing line there.
1: No, I think you're right there. No, I think that's good. I think that's a good place because I think we have enough time to to go into the secret big question.
0: (laughs) Sure. Okay, ready for this? Let's let's do it.
1: All right, Corey. Here it is. Ready?
0: Sure. I'm not sure if I'm ready. Drum roll. We'll find out.
1: All right. So (laughs) is Paul a legitimate apostle or was he a false prophet who corrupted the teachings of Jesus? Now, this is a modern thing that's kind of going around. Yeah. Because when you read so much of Paul, he's like, Don't follow the Sabbath, don't get circumcised, saying all these things. But the circumcision was an everlasting covenant. But but the Sabbath was a sign forever. So people really struggle with this. So what I see is there's the Hebrew Roots movement specifically that's talking about this, but there's other people too who believe Paul wasn't a legitimate apostle. Now it's funny enough. He defends his apostleship in the text.
0: He does because, several times. because there was false teaching going around right. in the time in during his lifetime and in the Christian churches that was saying, no, you 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 still have to convert to Judaism and follow the Mosaic Law in yes. order to be saved. That's right. Whereas whereas the the Orthodox Christian teaching was that. The new covenant had come and had reversed essentially Babel. We see that, you know, the Babel event where Jesus has to split apart humanity and then, and then just choose the, the Israelite nation. But why did he choose them? To be priests so that, so that all of the world would be blessed through Israel, through the Messiah, right? And then in Acts, we had that, that, that the beginning of the reversal of Babel, right? Where people are hearing the gospel in, in in their same in their language, they're understanding <coughs> it and now we're moving towards the new heavens and the new earth, this kingdom of God, right where all nations will be reunited uh, under God right. in, in a righteous way.
1: right? Yeah. so this movement specifically or just these a lot of these people who adhere to this belief or advocate mm-hmm. this belief, Uh, attempt to argue that that we're following the law, Jesus has never abolished the law, right? Right. And so therefore, like everything Paul says just goes against what Jesus never said any of these things, right? Now, I have one thing to highlight in specific, so I'll highlight it here. And it has to do with 2 Peter 3, verses uh, 15 to 16. I'll just read it quick. Um, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Okay. Right there, Jesus's immediate disciple, Peter, who he renamed the Rock, right? Perhaps the leader of the apostles really seems that way. Okay. Uh, is saying that Paul's writings are scripture. So you have a big dilemma here, because if you're going to say Paul's not an apostle or he's false, then Peter's also false for lying for for saying something that's prophetically not true, though using prophecy, if that makes sense. Um, so he's using, you know, he's writing scripture. Peter knows he's writing scripture, so he's writing scripture here. And he's saying in scripture that that Paul's writings are scripture. So it really, like, to knock down, to say Paul's illegitimate, is to say Peter's illegitimate. And then that really brings down to, okay, so then what does that mean about Christ? Right? Christ establishing Peter's um, leadership. So I think the whole thing kind of wobbles there. Because then all of a sudden it becomes a matter of how I feel right now. And then the whole Christian movement you know, has never deviated, you know, it, it, it argues, the Hebrew roots movement, the, Christian, the Christianity has deviated away from everything, from its core meanings, but it's like, no, it didn't just deviate away, you know, a hundred years later, it deviated away pretty much instantly, <laughs> which puts into the question of Christianity itself. At that point, it's like, okay, well, is Christ God for him, you know, for all these things, For you know, I thought that the gates of Hades would not prevail against the church, which, by the way, is an offensive movement. Right, the church is moving forward, and we're going against, against the gates, which is the defensive structure of, of hell, uh, of um, the Satan and the evil ones. So we're on the offensive. <laughs> Anyways, <coughs> the point you made here is that I think even just there, it's completely problematic. It, it, like you just, the whole thing just like falls flat, just like that mm-hmm. verse, those two verses. Well, what do you think?
0: Yeah, and I mean, I mean, you have to reject you have to reject all of Acts if you're going to reject if you're gonna reject Paul, you have to reject Peter. Yes. And you also have to reject Acts, Mm -hmm. right? So because what do you do with Acts 10 and 11 and 15, right? Like, so uh, in Acts 10, Peter who is a Christ follower but he is also Jewish so he's also also still following the Mosaic law he sees this vision where uh where all this unclean food according to the Mosaic law is lowered down from heaven and God says kill and eat and Peter's like no way I've yeah. never done that I've never I've, I I know he th- thinking it's a test right so it happens three times and Peter says no three times and then God's like don't call unclean what I have made clean right we go back into mark 16 yeah. and the go- you would also have to reject mark because the gospel of mark i believe it's in 16 uh oh no it's not in 16 i'll find it i'll pop it in the comment section but uh, uh mark when he's when jesus is talking he's giving the teaching of uh, it's not what goes into you that makes you unclean but oh, it's right. what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean and then there's a notation in there saying uh talking about how christ had made all food clean uh so it's referring you know when mark is written it's in the early church period it's referring to this idea that Gentiles don't have to live as Jews. They can eat unclean food because it's not what goes into your body that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your body. So uh, it's referring to this practice of Gentiles not having to follow Christians, not having to follow the Mosaic law anymore, but instead following the law of Christ and and recognizing Jesus as as the fulfillment. Okay. Oh, yeah. So. There's plenty. In Acts 10, it says, so Peter goes to this Gentile's house in response to this vision and, and Apparently eats with them, stays with them. Would have been eating Gentile food, breaking the Mosaic law, but he was allowed to do this now. <coughs> um, so, if you believe if, if if you believe that the Mosaic law is still in place, you have to reject Acts. Right? While Peter was still saying these things, this is Acts ten forty four. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the words. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him To remain for some days, so you could read that and argue, yeah, well, Peter had probably made them follow the Mosaic law after that. But when we jump to Acts fifteen, there is a council in Jerusalem, a church council called because of this, because it's creating waves. It's controversial to say the least, right? And. um, faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. In other words, Peter's like, it's not about the law, guys. God saved them apart from the law, so why would we then put the law as a yoke upon their necks once again? And of course, James stands up and they go through the whole thing and they decide that they're not going to impose the Mosaic Law on Christianity. So if that's your beef with Paul, you have to reject Paul, you have to reject Peter, you have to reject Acts, you have to reject Mark. And I just don't think oh, that's. You
1: got the trick Matthew. You just go down the list. I don't
0: think
1: that's. Well, you talk about the yoke. Jesus says, "On the Sabbath day, rest in me, and I will give you right. I'll, right. right? I'll give you a rest. So it's like he's taking the Sabbath on himself. It's yeah. like. There's so much there that he's eating grains on this the Sabbath day. It's like this. So
0: this is like yeah. This yeah. is like generally how would we how we would approach this? If there's more specific examples that you guys have been challenged with, or that you would like to challenge us with, uh, more specific examples where you think Paul contradicts Christ, or you've heard Paul contradicts Christ again pop it in the comments section or email us at hello at biblediscoverytv.com and we can deal with specific examples but generally yeah that's what that's kind of how I would go
1: oh foolish Hebrew roots movement who has bewitched you
0: yeah there's yes. a lot there yeah there's, there's a lot, there's a lot there. there
1: right anyways no I think that's I think that nails it on the head honestly I just don't think there's any precedent to say that Paul is not a legitimate apostle I just I don't know how you get to that point I think it's only to preserve the law. That's it. It's just, yeah. and even Christ himself is above the law.
0: Yeah, there right? seems to be a very weird objective for control.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: In that stance.
1: Yeah. All right, are you good? I'm good,
0: All right guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, if you've watched this far, give the video a thumbs up. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss any videos. Hopefully in the new year, I'm really trying to push towards some really interesting, more diverse content. So please be keeping me in your prayers for that and Matlock in your prayers for that as well. We would really appreciate it. Uh, again, pop, pop your comments down below and until next time, happy reading and studying. Thank you so much for watching.